where we're going to be is in a lot of different places. You can probably just put your finger in uh, Romans chapter 8 and kind of leave it there. Um, or maybe Romans chapter 5. I don't know. Let's see. There's so many passages. I was trying to think, how do I, how do, I do this without having you just totally... Just open it up to the book of Romans. How's that? That'll just get you started, and uh, we'll end up there this morning. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I began a, a series I titled Thriving in Babylon based on the book of the same name. Uh, this morning, you know, I wanted to talk about the hope of Daniel. Um, you know, one of the amazing things when you, you study Daniel's life, and there's so many comparatives today. You know, when you look at the, the Old Testament and compare it to the new, um, the book of Daniel to the Old Testament is what Revelation is to the New Testament. It kind of gives you an idea. So if you're an Old Testament saint, you read the book of Daniel thinking about the future. And the beauty of it, you know, is the correlations between the two is that, you know, terrible things happen. You know, Daniel writes about that. You know, we've studied that, you know, we, Daniel chapter nine, if you're with us on, you know, Wednesday nights and going through the 70 weeks and then the abomination of desolation, you know, and the, what will occur. And even in, in Daniel's understanding, you know, of end times is that God is sovereign. He's in control. No terrible things are going to happen and they're going to happen to the nation of Israel in the end, even those who were killed. Uh, the Bible tells us they'll be resurrected from the dead. And so there was always hope. And it was something that came very clear in, in the writings of Daniel. It's what we see, like I said, in the book of Revelation. And so it's an important topic that we can't talk too much about. And so, uh, and continue on in this study, you know, this morning, you know, talking about hope, you know, I want to do that. But again, it hopes that it helps us understand the times that we're living in here. And, and again, and it's not a cliche, not a play on words, but that, you know, I meet with people every week. I talk with people throughout the week. I'm involved, you know, in other ministries outside the life of our church and, and counsel with people through, uh, you know, uh, there's an outreach ministry um, that produces uh, videos. And I'm on the uh, ministry team that uh, takes email correspondence. And if someone wants to go further with it, um, that you know, they can contact you by phone and set up appointments. And 99.99% of the time, it's just emails that they're they're reaching out to you about. And probably the thing that people need more than anything else that, you know, I have my own finger on that pulse today, and, and you'd have to only speak for your own life, is is hope. We, we live in a world that uh, is becoming darker by the day and, and people are losing hope. And, and many of those that are losing hope, unfortunately, you know, are people that have made up the church, um, made up the body of Christ. You know, the enemy of our soul is relentless and he'll do anything he can to not just distract us, but, you know, as Jesus said, that the thief comes to what? To steal and to kill and destroy. I mean, he wants to destroy our lives. And so it's, it's really so important. And it's why, you know, we're talking about prayer and prayer on a Sunday night, um, you know, banding together because we're going to see, I mean, is it sad? Yes. Um, you know, are we going to see a falling away? Yes, we're going to see a falling away because Scripture teaches it. It speaks to it. But that thinning out isn't, again, to harm us. It's to, it's to prove out what is true and what's authentic and what is good. And so the end result always of what God does is good. And so I wanted to look at this with you. And, and really, when we think about you know the concept of Babylon, just I'll give you a little bit of review here as we, we get going here this morning, uh, you know, on how Daniel was able to not just survive in Babylon, and in many ways we see our life today is a lot like living in Babylon 
in the world in which we live and that we can make a decision. It's a choice that we make that we don't have to just survive, but that we too can thrive uh, because of our relationship with Jesus. And, and the thing I love this morning, I always love God's timing. His timing is perfect. Have you figured that out? You know, Randy shared this with me years ago. He, he said, you know, there's a, a famous quote, you know, that God's never there when you want him to be, but he's always on time, right? He is always on time. And, uh, and I love that this morning. I think about it, communion. It's a perfect Sunday to be receiving communion, to be reminded of that hope, you know, that Jesus left this for us to participate in, in hope of what? Of the reality of what's going to take one place one day when we are seated with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. And it will be there, you know, breaking bread, you know, with the Lord. And he said, do this. And as often as you would do this today, he said, do it in remembrance of me. So we're remembering the Lord. And, and that's what put things into perspective for us, you know, because we so easily lose sight. You know, I, I remind you all the time, you know, myself included, you know, we forget the things that what we need to remember and we remember the things that we need to forget. And so it's a great day to be receiving communion. So let's open it with a word of prayer and we'll, we'll jump into this. And Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the church, Lord. Thank you that a church isn't something that we attend, Lord. The true church is something that we belong to, that we're part of your body. You're the head and we make up all the individual members, but we're part of one another. That's the beauty of communion that we see today becoming one in Christ. And so we pray that, Lord, you'd have your way, that you'd have your will, that you'd knit our hearts together today. That, Lord, if we've got issues with one another, that we would deal with those things in our own heart and life so that when we receive communion together today, we're receiving it, Lord, the way that you intend, that it would, it would bring us to that place, that we experience the oneness, Lord, that you prayed, that we would have as you prayed to the Father, that, Father, they might be one as you and I are one. And so, Lord, knit us together in your love. Help us to receive all that you have for us today. Uh, Lord, strengthen us. Give us eyes that can see, ears that can hear what your spirit would speak to us today. That, Lord, as we go out from this place, uh, we go out with confidence. We go out with comfort. Lord, we, especially we go out with hope today. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen. So, you know, when you recall, as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, just as a little refresher here, you know, the uh, city of Babylon was obviously located in what we would call modern day Iraq, and it's on the banks of the Euphrates River there. So if you get your map out and you look there and you, and you remember the word Babel and Babel, it means confusion, but it means confusion by mixing. Remember the Lord went down and he confused their language and, and caused them to uh, spread and Genesis 11, 4 says this, just as a way of reminder, it says, come, let us build ourselves a city. This is what they set out to do, and a tower with its top. They were there in the plains of Shinar, if you remember that. Nimrod um, is their leader. It says, and make its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. And so we see, you know, immediately what they're doing is they're setting themselves apart from God instead of, as the New Testament teaches you and I, we are to set ourselves apart, what? to God, yeah, for the Lord Jews. So it says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So Babel obviously was the foundation of Babylon. And then, and I, I tried to share with you a little bit, and we did this really quickly, you know, why was Babylon so evil? You know, you, you've heard that expression, uh, you become like that which you worship, right? 
and you go to Egypt and you see that today and, and how filthy Egypt is. And even to this very day, you become like the things that you worship. Uh, and the beauty of worshiping God was in the spirit of, of holiness and purity is that we would, again, we would pure our, purify ourselves as he is pure. And so here, you know, the evil, it stemmed from the fact that uh, the object of their worship and the actions of their rulers, you know, uh, were in opposition, in direct opposition to God. Uh, like it said, that they set out to make a name for themselves. And they did this, you know, to operate in complete disdain of who God is and God's rule in their life. I shared with you, you know, that their, their God, uh, Marduk, um, they considered to be supreme over all gods. So he was, you know, in their, in their idolatry, you know, in their, their worship of a false god, is they made him out to be the supreme God. And so when you think of the evil that they did, um, you know, this is why, you know, a, a little, I mean, you think about Babylon, it didn't even exist for a hundred years, but it has such prominence in both the Old and the New Testament, you know, with regard to rule. And, you know, their rulers, I, I shared with you, and these are things that are, uh, when I think about Babylon and the end times or the spirit of Babylon that exists in the world today that you and I uh, deal with, uh, going back to, you know, this original, you know, their judges and the rulers there, you know, in Babylon, when they would uh, exact their punishment, you know, on people, I mean, it, it was it was horrendous, the things that they did. I mean, they literally, they would cut off, you know, the feet of their victims and then make them walk, you know, in the sense, I mean, it just the torture, you know, cut their lips off. Uh, they would cut their noses off, you know, that expression, cut your nose off to spite your face. Um you know, they would blind, you know, their prisoners. I mean, they'd gouge their eyes out. I mean, things that they did that were just pure, you know, uh, torture. Um, they dismembered them while they were alive. Um, I mean, they gutted them. You know, you, you see, you know, the torture that was done uh, to the martyrs, um, literally to pull their heart out while it was still beating. I mean, and to take pleasure in these type of things. And, and so when I think about, you know, people go, well, so what's the connection? You go, well, it's not so much a literal, and I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, it's not so much a literal Babylon today as it is a spirit of Babylon. And so as I was reading the things, and you think about that, the spirit of Babylon and the evil of Babylon and the torture of, of a human being. And I, and I thought about, you know, that picture, you know, most of us have seen him if you've ever watched anything with regard to modern day abortion. And then how, you know, in our society, I mean, literally science, you know, and this is following the science, right? You look in and there's literally an instrument that is tearing a human body apart and, and the people to just totally disregard that. And so life for us isn't much different in many ways. Like I said, I don't think it's to the degree that it was in Babylon. I think Daniel had it much worse. That's why he's a great example for us to look to than what we have it today. But I'm not saying that it's not going to get as bad because I believe that in many ways it will as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And so it's all the more reason why we need to prepare ourselves. And it's why we need to understand that we can still have hope even in the midst of this chaos that exists all around us. And so the, one of the, the spirit, obviously, you know, was King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, God wanted to be their king, right? And the children of Israel came to a place and they go, you know, God, I mean, we get it that you're for us and you've been with us, but nobody can see you, right? We kind of want to have a king like everybody else, one that, you know, that we can, and God was like, mm, you're not going to like it, but, you know, guess what? I'll give you what you asked for. Remember, who was Israel's first king? It was Saul, right? And again, they, they grew to regret that. 
And and so you you think of these things with regard to the evil of Babylon was this, you know, setting up, you know, obviously a king that lives in opposition to God himself. And so it's one of the things that they did uh, and they sought to do. Um, you know, and you look at how it was evidenced, like I said, in, in Daniel's own life. Um, you know, it's pretty fascinating when you study his life and you think of, you know, I think we gloss over it too much. You know, we don't look at what I just shared with you when we think about Daniel's life. We've kind of, when I say cuted it up, it's because of, of Sunday school, right? We talk about, you know, Daniel, you know, being thrown in a fiery furnace there. But you think about the reality, many people died, right? I said, you know, Daniel isn't an example. Daniel is an exception, okay? And I think that's important that we remember that because Unfortunately, many people had died. Many people die to this very day through torture and martyrdom in the body of Christ. And ultimately, we see in the book of Revelation, you know, the Jewish you know, nation itself, I mean, is going to suffer tremendously. And so when you think of the, the spirit, you know, that we're, we're talking about here, you know, in Daniel chapter 3, if you're reminded of this, remember, you know, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, um, you know, they were thrown into this fiery furnace, and it says, that the furnace was what? There was something, you think about the torture, right? And, and what? Did, how many times was it heated? What did it say? Do you remember the story? How many times? Seven times, that's right. Nita gets the prize today. I'm just going to move over here and talk with Nita. Uh, no, that's it, it, exactly it. It's seven times, and you think, why is it? And, and we, we read that in Scripture, and we just go, okay, it's almost like it was cute, right? They heated it seven times hotter. And you go, it's inhumane. It's, it, it was, they, they wanted to torture them, right? And you go, why? Why was, why was Daniel and his three friends thrown into a fiery furnace to begin with, right? For simply doing what? Holding to their faith, right? Saying that they were, they were going to continue to serve God, even to the point of death. Even if God didn't deliver them, they believed that God would deliver them. But even if God didn't deliver them, what did they declare? God is worthy. We'll just continue. This is what we're going to do. And we're not going to bow down, not going to bow down and worship you. you know, we're going to stand up for what we truly believe. And so it was heated seven times more than normal because they simply refused to what? To, when you think about it, what do they, they refused to bow down to this image of Nebuchadnezzar because they, they determined to what? To believe God was one, that God was supreme and there was no other God before him. And so they committed their lives to worshiping him. And there's a price that comes with it. When you stand up, we've seen things this week. I watched a, a professional baseball player who this week sent out on social media, uh, you know, his reason he was in support of, of standing up against Target and, and Bud Light. And the next day he was, it was so sad. He was on, you know, television before the game. And he just said, and he's a Christian, he's a, he's a devout Christian. And yet he succumbed to the pressure, unlike Daniel, and it's so, you know, does anybody really know? And you go, well, you can only know what, what he says, and you can only know how he says it. It's like a prepared statement and the things that he declared. He just went, you know, well, uh, what I said, I shouldn't have said. And you go, but there was nothing wrong in what he said. If he's a Christian, he believes that. You go, as a Christian, you go, this is my right. We still, we still live in America, right? We have the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And you go, well, we're seeing those things erode just like where? in Babylon, the same thing. So basically what happened was this guy doesn't have, he's not a top tier 
you know, player on the team. He's probably a bullpen pitcher. And basically they were going, you know what? We could put you down in the minor leagues tomorrow. No, in all seriousness and going, and you either say this or do this. And you could tell from the way he said it. He goes, and that's all I have to say. He didn't want to have a discussion about it. He just wanted out of there because basically they went, hey, you know what? You like making money and you like being in the show. And if you are, then you just go along with what we say and what we do. And, and you could tell, uh, you could just see from the expressions on his face that the, he, there was no pleasure in what he was sharing, but he felt the pressure. And many of us have felt those things and, and maybe failed in the same exact way. Unfortunately, his was what on national television because of the job that he has playing major league baseball here. The second thing, you know, that we're reminded of, and I shared with you two weeks ago, you know, from Daniel chapter six, remember now another King, not Nebuchadnezzar, but King Darius. And he throws Daniel into the lion's den. And he does that for what? Because Daniel, remember the King makes a decree that you can't pray for 30 days. Well, Daniel's accustomed to doing what? Praying not just once a day or once a week or maybe twice a week, but three times a day, right? You know, morning, noon, and night, he would pray. And so he's like, hey, I heard what the king said, but there's a higher law because people would say, hey, he didn't obey the law of the land. And you go, well, um, he did until what? Obeying the law of the land would cause him to disobey the laws of God. And when they run and they're confronting one another, you always go with the laws of God, the things of God. And is that easy? And you go, no. But Daniel said, you know, and, and again, he didn't try to hide. There's a difference. A lot of times I remember during COVID, you know, when COVID happened, churches were just communicating with, we're just going to continue to meet. And I remember at the time, Larry and Ron and myself, we, we talked about it, we prayed about it. So I wrote a letter to the city council. I sent it to the police department. I sent it to the sheriff. I sent it to county supervisor and just said, you know, Calvary Chapel, Bakersfield, you know, we're just a little church out here. I mean, just a you know, little dot on the map. You go, but I can tell you this, you know, we, we pray for you and we support you in as many things as we can, but we cannot support you in this because we didn't look to the governor to establish our church. We're not looking to the governor for any help with regard to running our church. And so unfortunately we're not listening to the govern governor now that says, you know, that the church cannot meet. Our right to meet was given to us by God himself. And so it just said, but we're willing to suffer the consequences. And this is my address, and this is where I, my faith failed me. I gave him Larry's address. I just want to be honest. So I go, I wrote Larry's address down. No, but, you know, but we were open about it, right? We we're just going, we're not going to do this. And, and we weren't hiding from it the same way I look at this. And you go, Daniel wasn't hiding from it. You go, hey, I'm going to go home. They came, and they what? They saw him praying, and they confronted him about it. And what did he say? I'm going with God. I'm going to go with God. He had to make a stand, and there's going to be times when you and I are going to have to make a stand. And it won't be popular. It could be fearful, but God was with him. And like I said, we can read this, and here's where we make the mistake. And we did this in children's ministry, is children grow up to think that, see, that's always how God operates. And it's not. It's not the norm. They were the exception. But it was to do what? To give us hope to push us forward, to get us to do exactly what Daniel did too. And that was to look to God. And so when you think about, you know, what is Babylon in the end times? Like I said, this little community that really only existed for about a hundred years or so, it's really symbolic of evil more than anything else. Now, is there going to be a, a literal Babylon? Yes, there's still a city. Is there going to be a form of government that represents, you know, Babylon uh, could go by the same name, you know, who knows? I mean, remember, you know, was it uh, Saddam Hussein? He he tried to, you know, reestablish, you know, Babylon, right? 
you know, thought himself as the modern day Nebuchadnezzar, you know, didn't fare very well for him. I just want, want you to read the whole story, but, um, you know, some believe it to be, you know, something to do with the Catholic church. Like I said, we know that it's a city there, you know, in, in, uh, Iraq, but Babylon it's named. And this is the thing that's interesting to me six times in the book of revelation. Okay. And, and when you look at this, I mean, it, it's definitely, it's suggesting, you know, that Babylon, uh, you know, is a symbolic of a spirit, you could say, uh, or a seductive culture, uh, which ultimately is what's going to happen, is going to fall to God's wrath, okay? And because Daniel knew that, what did it do? It gave him hope. He knew that in the end, and when we say that, you know, I, I remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, one of the things I, I did was I cheated. I read the back of the book. I started in Genesis, and and when I got to the genealogies, to be honest with you, I I I was like, man, I hope something gets better here really quick. And uh, so I decided, you know, I'm just going to read the end of the story. I I went, I read the Book of Revelation, which at first I was didn't know if that was a good idea, but when I finally got to chapters 21 and 22, I was, yes, it's going to end well. If what? If your hope and your trust is in Jesus. You don't have to understand, you know, all the, you know, prophecies that are taking place and everything that's going to, you know, transpire there. I mean, you get, you know, three people reading every story in Revelation, you got nine different opinions. I mean, it's just uh, of things that are going on. But one thing for sure is that God is in control. Amen. God is sovereign and he is working and he's working on your behalf and on my behalf. And in the end, if your hope and your trust is in Jesus, you're going to win. And that's what Daniel knew. That's what he, what he understood. Now, the thing that I find interesting with regard to Babylon, though, and I don't have a lot of time to really go into this, and it's just I've had to mull this over myself. You remember you know, what makes Babylon different than when we think about the sin of Babylon than the sin of an individual? Because you think all sin, you know, the Bible says all have sinned, right? Original sin began where? Where, did, where was it? in the Garden of Eden, right, with Adam and Eve. And that was individual sin. And we, Adam, as we say, is our corporate head with regard to sin, just like Jesus is our corporate head regard to salvation. We find ourselves, we're sinners in Adam because Adam sinned, and we're righteous in Christ because of what Jesus did for us. But when you think about this, personal sin, that every person's responsible, you know, for themselves— it's one of the things I think you'll, your mind will kind of, you're like me, you kind of have this aha moment here because you look around today and what's going on in the world and you even hear the arguments that are being made. Like, you know, somebody will go, hey, like my wife loves the Dodgers. She's loved the Dodgers as long as I've known her. And it was so sad, you know, when the Dodgers made this, this decision, you know, to honor this anti-Catholic, you know, homosexual transvestite, you know, organization with, with a, you know, honoring them. And it was like, and, and, and my wife was going, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't be part of this. I can't. And so she made a decision, you know, where I'm not going to watch the Dodgers anymore. I'm not going to follow the Dodgers anymore on social media. You know, I'm not going to use my Dodger cup, my Dodger, you know, coffee cup, things that, you know, stuff that she has that she enjoys my Dodger baseball cap. And it wasn't something that she was, would ever try to push on somebody else. It was a personal decision. That was something that she decided, but it, it brought her great sadness. But she kept saying, you know, see, but it's not, honey. She goes, it's not, it's not everybody. And I go, that's the difference. See, 
Think about original sin. Original sin, the individual can make the decision to choose to sin or not to sin. Does that make sense to everybody? What about corporate sin, though? There's a difference. And that's what's happening in the spirit of Babylon in the world today, because there's this corporate entity, right? We saw it with Bud Light, right? Bud Light comes out and they make this decision, you know, that they're going to you know, have a, a transvestite, you know, promote, you know, Bud Light. And it didn't go over well. Uh, many people who are avid, you know, Bud Light drinkers said, you know what? Like my wife was with the Dodgers who said, I'm done. I, I read last week, it's, it's suffered so far to the tune of over $27 billion, the hit. And you go, but what is that? And people go, oh, let's see. I was listening to Sean Hannity last week and he said, you know, uh, he goes, hey, I like, you know, I like beer. I drink beer. I'm a good Catholic. I drink beer. And he goes, uh, uh, but, you know, what about these people in the factories? So he was trying to figure out a way. Is there a way that we don't have to keep like boycotting? I don't know if he likes Bud Light. I, don't, I have no idea. But going, do we have to keep boycotting this because individual lives are going to suffer? So he was making the connection between personal sin and corporate sin. And what's happening now in the last days and what we're seeing is what the spirit of Babylon, this, this is my take on it, and it's starting to make more and more sense as I watch it, is what you'll see in the end times isn't just the impact of personal sin, but it's going to be the degree of corporate sin. Because that was the difference between you know, what we saw in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve with regard to individual sin and everybody's sin but when you take individual sin and then there's repentance of that, you also have what? Restoration. It's more difficult when you have what? Corporate sin. So like I know there's individuals like on the Dodgers, you know, I saw Clayton Kershaw came out as a, as a professing, you know, born again Christian that he said, hey, I'm not in favor of this decision. But he made that on what level? A personal basis, right? So just like personal sin, personal righteousness. Well, did his one decision impact the corporate decision. No, he's just one voice. So I think what we can all kind of begin to wrap our minds around is why Babylon is so severe, because it's no longer just the individual. It becomes corporate and it's control that the, even the individuals, because there's many things that go on in our country, even in a democracy, right? That you go, I don't agree with that personally, but I, I can't change it, right? Because it's, it's, it's been a corporate decision, so to speak. And so this is the evil, you know, that it, that it really speaks of here when we think about, you know, Babylon. And like I said, you know, the people were united there in Genesis eleven four in order to do what? They came together corporately to make a name from themselves, thinking, okay, like one-on-one, -on -one, we can't beat you, God, right? You're too big, but collectively we can. And And have you can you wrap your mind around that lie for a second? Have you ever talked to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ? They don't normally just leave it on a personal basis, do they? They don't just say, well, I've read the Bible. I mean, I could, I could respect that, right? I've read the Bible, and I don't agree with the things that, you know, that I read in the Bible, so therefore I've made a decision, and I am not going to believe. That's personal, right? Most people will say, well, you know, um, you know, my friends and I, we, we don't, I, I talked to bunches of people, nobody believes that. And if you, and if someone said, oh, well, you know, if you do that, you're going to spend eternity in hell apart from God. And what is most of the time the response is, well, if I do, I'll be there with who? All my friends, right? It's like, it's a corporation. 
See, we don't realize, you know, we lose sight of that, is that you go, well, wait a second, in hell, it's complete isolation. There's no corporate there. It's where the, there's a complete isolation where there's the weeping and gnashing teeth. And so there's something in this desire is to not have personal responsibility. It's the same thing when we don't want to be responsible. What do we do? We go, it's not, oh, I failed. It's, oh, well, I did what so-and-so told me to do. I just was following the crowd, right? The government said that we were to do this. You know, Nebuchadnezzar said we had to do this, and I was just going along. Abortion, you know, in the world today, we go, well, you know, I mean, I'm just an individual. The corporate has made a decision for that, so we just kind of go along with it. We can understand the, the battles that take place here. Uh, the world in which we live is really no different in the sense of the time of Daniel, uh, other than the fact, like I said, to the degree. And I think it was, it was the heat was turned up more for Daniel than it is to us right now. And so, again, understand this and looking at this, you know, Babylon is more or less today is a symbol of the world that is ruled by the devil. And I gave you, you know, some scripture you could look up. And if you're a note taker, again, you can just go back and write these, write these down and, and research them, you know, uh, Revelation 14.8, uh, Revelation 17.5, Revelation 18.2, go down to verse 21. Um, and, and why is it important? Like I said, why is it important, you know, that we know about Babylon? And, and I think one of the, the comforting things to know in a time like this, because we get discouraged, I think if you're like me and you, you hear the things going on in the world today, and it's, it's discouraging in many ways, but it's discouraging in the short term, in the short run. It's hopeful when you see the big picture, and that's really what we're called to do, is that we got to look through it, you know, through the lens of faith here. And, and we recognize, you know, even in Babylon, you know, in the world today and the world then, that can God use evil people and evil nations to perform his will? And you go, yeah. So I'll give you another passage you can go research for yourself. is Psalm 73. You know, the psalmist is going, man, I, I just, I looked around and I, I saw the evil in the world and I saw how evil was prospering. He's like, I almost lost my faith. He's like, I almost lost my Christianity. He says, until when? Until I went to church. Until we opened up the Word of God, until we prayed, until we worshiped, until we received communion, I was reminded, oh yeah, for the believer, this is as bad as it gets, because it's going to get better. The best is still yet to be. And that's the great joy that we have in coming together and studying that. Yeah, God used Pharaoh there in Egypt. He used Nebuchadnezzar. Like I said, we studied that a couple of weeks ago. Don't have time to go all the way back through it. You know, I heard yesterday, you know, remember Babylon, you know, was a place lock in on this. You know, Babylon was a place where people traded, right? They traded the worship of God for idol worship and self-worship. We know they worshiped idols, right? I mean, they were into polygamy. They were into idolatry. And we know this, obviously, because what was the statue that Nebuchadnezzar made? Who was it of? Himself, yeah. He's like, and you're gonna, you're gonna worship this, right? We see this, you know, in the times of the New Testament, Caesar worship, right? He would come and there would be a census taken and there was, there was worship, there was uh, incense, and you were to take that incense and drop it on the altar. And there was a guy there, like we'd say the IRS, and he stood there and he watched. And did you make payment or tribute to Caesar? And if you didn't, you were marked. And you go, and who were the marked people in that time? It would have been the Jews and the believing Christians at that time who believed in what? That God was one. And, and any monotheistic you know, person would not have bowed down to Caesar. 
at that point, unless they what? Unless they were compromising their faith. And so we know that Babylon was a place where people, like I said, created worship of God for self and idol worship. And so you have to answer that within your own heart today. Do you see that on the rise in our world today with regard to then Babylon being a spirit of evil in the world today? I, I heard this just yesterday. Many of you maybe have heard this as well. It's taking place in our country and around the world, especially in the lives of women, that they're marrying themselves. There's a new trend, right? And, and it's called sologamy. I had to, I went and I, I went to listen to it to see if I was pronouncing it correctly. And I had to laugh because I, I did it four times and each one had a different rendering of the word, which I love because I was going, yes, I can't get this, ro- this word wrong. I get words wrong all the time, but I couldn't get this word wrong because you could just say it pretty much however you wanted to say it. But uh, really, you think of the word solo, right? And gammy. So some of them, they said that, they go, if you've ever clicked on that, how to pronounce, you know, solo gammy, that was the thing. So I go, all right, so I'm going to say solo gammy. So I go to the next one, I go, it sure sounds like sologamy, like polygamy or monotony or, you know, whatever you want to say. You go, uh, and the next guy goes, uh, you know, sologamy. I go, yes, I like that one better. But then I went to the third one and went, solo gammy, solo gammy. You know, and I go, okay, so what is it? Sologamy or sologamy, self-marriage is, and it said this, this was the definition, a symbolic ceremony where you commit to maintaining a meaningful, deep, and loving relationship with yourself. That sounds biblical, doesn't it? You go, but this is what's being taught, and people are gravitating to it. It's the spirit of Babylon in the world today. And it's and you watch people, and it could be people that you know, people that you love, and you're just being pulled along by it. And, and it's, a, it's a spirit of delusion, right? And you see it. And, and again, from its inception, you know, Babylon has served, you know, as an opponent, uh, you know, against God and, and his people. And, and, and it really demonstrates, you know, the arrogance, uh, you know, uh, especially uh, of man and his rejection of God. And, and we're seeing it, like I said, uh, taking place, you know, all around the world today. So how did, and this is, you know, where I really wanted to take you today, so how did Daniel thrive in Babylon? And I shared with you, he, he exercised hope, humility, and wisdom, okay? And those are the topics, like I said, I wanted to really spend some time, you know, with you on and, and looking at here. Hope, you know, he, he had hope. And it's not hope, like I said, that, that you and I think of hope, and I want to spend some time in that, walking through that quickly here this morning. He walked in humility and he exercised godly wisdom. And when he did that, the end result of those things I shared with you was courage and credibility and perspective and perspective being so important because it's then how we're able to navigate our way. You know, we walk by faith and not by sight, but we still have to see, right? And so it changes our perspective. Walking with Jesus and holding on to the truth of God's word will change your perspective when you are in the midst of Babylon, when you are in the midst of chaos, when you are suffering and you're going through trials in your life. And so, you know, to think about this, you know, what is the definition of hope? You know, maybe you, you start by, you know, talking about what hope is not. It's not wishful thinking, right? You know, it's not an emotion. It's not even a desire, you know, that we have, you know, for a follower of, of Jesus, you know, our hope is grounded in what? In truth. Hope is always grounded in truth, that God is true to his word. If God said it, what? That settles it, okay? 
Hebrews 11, 1, you know, teaches us that hope is a confident expectation. You go, why? Well, it's not, you know, like we hope, you know, that it'll come true. To, to say as a believer that we hope, it's to know that it is going to come true. Not because I say it, but because what? God said it. And that's what we rest in there. And we know that it will be fulfilled. Hebrews 11, 1, the NLT translation says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. You know, I like what, you know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, and I had you flip there, verses 24 and 25. He says, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Okay. And I love that, you know, as, as the NLT explains that. So hope doesn't mean that God can always do everything that you and I want him to do. I mean, it's, it's hope isn't even, you know, the outcome that we would hope for in, in and of ourselves. You know, our hope is in God's goodness and his faithfulness and his character and his, his perfection is in his sovereignty and in, in his plan, you know, for our life. You know, our hope is in who God says that he is, who he claims to be, and what he says he will do. What it means in short, you know, our hope is, is taking God at his word. Amen. And you think about this. I mean, it's been important since the very fall of Adam and Eve. Because why? Because since the fall, people have needed hope. And I think, you know, now more than ever, like I said, the people that I talk with each week and correspond with, you know, through email, uh, because we live in an information age, you get this just like I do. You know, we are bombarded every day, you know, with news and social media. Um, and and we, we pick up darkness much more and much faster than we do light. And I think it's important that we remember that. I, I like that expression, you know, I, it was a lie, you know, travels faster than, a tr than truth, you know, that, that a lie can travel the world before truth can even get its shoes on. It's really true of, of bad information, right? Or bad news. I, so I put it like this, bad news travels as fast as the speed of sound and can make its way around the world before good news can even get its shoes on. And I think that, that you, you understand that. And because of that, you know, people are hurting today. People are, they're fighting depression more than they probably ever have in the history of our world. Discouragement, disillusionment. People are looking for something good to hold on to. And guess what? We have that. It's Jesus. The good news of the gospel. That God is who he claimed to be. That he came to save sinners. And that he's preparing a place for us. And he's going to come back. And he's going to avenge himself. You know, we, uh, our Wednesday morning Bible study, we're going through the seven churches of Asia Minor right now. And you think about, you know, who is he? You know, the the one who has the, the sword in his mouth, right? This double two-edged sword in his mouth. And what is the word? The, the sword is the word of God, right? The word of God is sharper and active than two-edged sword. And you think about, you know, what God is, is doing. He's going to avenge himself. But what is he going to do for those that have placed their hope and their trust in him? As Hebrews 11 says, even if they died, as I shared with you, you know, a couple weeks ago, even if they died without receiving the promise, they remained faithful because they saw it afar off. What, what do you mean? It was exactly what, you know, re, or excuse me, Daniel chapter 12 reminds the people that even in, you know, when all hell is going to break loose, you read in Daniel chapter 11, and God is faithful to his promise that he was going to discipline the nation of Israel. Many people were going to suffer and die, but he said, but in the end, they'd be resurrected. They would be brought back to life and that God would establish his throne. And when he would establish his throne, he would establish his kingdom. It's why we pray in the New Testament, what? Thy kingdom, what? 
come. Yeah, they were praying, God, establish your kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And we lose sight of that. We get caught up in so many different things. And so the word of God keeps pulling us back to, you know, this hope that we have in Christ. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. And as followers, like I said, then of Christ, we don't learn just how, like Daniel, to endure pain. And again, it's not a cliche, but we learn how to what? To embrace the pain because there's so many lessons. How many by a show of hands that you've learned more about God through difficulties than you have uh, pleasure in your life? It's been the hard things of life where you have really come to know Jesus, not the easy things or even the glorious things in that, that regard. You go, yeah, it's, that's how God operates. And so Daniel learned by experience when he was in the fiery furnace, when he was in the lion's den, you know, just as the apostle Paul did in his own trials, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. How do they know? Same way I love sharing with you from the 23rd Psalm, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or fear no evil for what? Thou art with me. You go, how did you know? Because you made it to the other side. When Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat, we're going to go all the way to the other side, and they got halfway, and the storm came, and they panicked. Why did Jesus rebuke them? He said, because I told you, I told you what? Get in the boat. We are going to the other side. He didn't say we're going halfway, and then a storm's going to hit, and you guys are all going to fall over and drown. He goes, if it was going to happen, I would have told you that. Because he would have just raised him from the dead again. But he didn't tell him that. He said, we're going to the other side. And so his rebuke was, I told you what I was going to say, and you didn't listen to what I was saying. Wow. To hold on to God's word. So how do, and this is what I want to leave you with today, how do trials produce hope? Look at that with me. You know, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Does it say all things are good? No. He just says all things do what? They work together for good. I shared this with you years ago. You know, when I was a young kid, I took the train one summer with my oldest sister to my grandma's house and we got there and she said, do you want to bake cookies with me? Never baked cookies in my life. Probably seven years old. I said, sure. She got all this stuff out. And I just remember the big old thing of Crisco grease. Remember that? It used to come in these big, like number eight cans. She pops the lid off this and, and she's got cookies already made. They're sitting there and I've already had one and they were oatmeal cookies and I loved them. And she goes, um, so do you want to taste? She had all the ingredients out there. And I go, yeah, she gave it, she took, stuck the spoon and the Crisco grease and she handed it to me and she goes, here, try this. This is a cookie. I licked it and it was the grossest thing. And I was like, grandma, her name was gross mom, German. She said, oh, gross mom. Yeah, it's yucky. She had me trying all kinds of stuff. Nutmeg. You know how bad nutmeg is just by itself? And I, and I just remember in my seven-year-old mind, I was going, she's lying to me. She's tricking me. Why would my grandma, who I love and adore, why would she do this to me? And, and it was funny. I totally forgot about that you know, through the years. And when I gave my life to the Lord, the Lord brought that back. And it was the funniest thing because my grandma told me then, I didn't realize how, you know, God was going to use her in my life. This was when I was seven years old to teach me biblical truth. Because my grandma said, honey, what you don't understand is all these ingredients, you know, they go into making the cookie that you love. She goes, but it, the heat in the oven, she goes, when I take all the ingredients and I put them together, the heat melts them down and, and it mixes up together. And it's those mixing of it together that it comes out good. And it was in my mind, I went, the Lord was like, see, all the parts individually don't taste good, but somehow, some way, melted together 
God makes that something good. And it was like, I go, oh, I get that. I get that, God. And so when I, when I think about this, there, there's really four things that jump off the, the, the page here. It goes back to Romans chapter 5. So I want to look at this really quick with you before we receive communion. Is tribulation. We think about hope. Tribulation is really the starting point of where hope begins. You know, tribulation brings about what? Perseverance. Romans 5.3 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials just like Daniel did, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Now, Daniel didn't know that on the front end. You and I didn't know that on the front end. The good news, we have the Word of God today. When Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, he didn't write it as a diary, okay? Daniel wrote the book of Daniel looking back over his life. There's a difference there because you can read it and the enemy will attack you just like he attacks me. You could read the book of Daniel and you go, why aren't you like Daniel? Why aren't you like Daniel? Like Daniel was perfect. But wait, individually, was Daniel a sinner? Did he need a savior? Yes. He said, he goes, you know, your people, including me, he goes, we've sinned against you. He recognized he was amongst the people. He was a sinner who needed a savior. He says, but we can rejoice too. We run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Another word for endurance there is perseverance. Some of your translations has that. You know, things in life, they're hard, they're painful, they're frustrating, they're, they're disappointing. But by God's grace and God, by God's power, he's the one who reveals himself through the midst of it. And, and when he does that, and you recognize that God is in it, there's something amazing that takes place, is that he removes you know, the bitterness, the resentment, you know, the, it's so easy to complain you know, about things. Why? Because we don't see God in it. But when you see God in it, and you see that he's in everything, then all of a sudden now you can go, okay, Lord, you know, there's something that you want to show me here, and I want to see it. And so we pray, give me eyes to see, and give me ears to hear. And so when I think about this, you know, it, our faith, you know, obviously endures and it perseveres, it becomes stronger. So how does it become stronger? You know, again, that's the concept here of, of tempered steel here, right? I mean, it takes more to break it. You know, when you, if you just have steel that hasn't been tempered, it's brittle, right? But when it's been tried by fire, what does it do? It strengthens it. And so God knows, you know, obviously the trials of our life, they're to help temper us, to make us stronger. You know, what's that old bumper sticker? If it doesn't, you know, kill me, it'll what? What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yeah. And you go, and that's God's intent is that it's not to kill you, but it is the trial to make you stronger. And so when he talks about the fiery test of trouble, uh, again, they're not me meant to break you. See, we do that. Go, oh, Lord, you're breaking me. What are you breaking me? Well, you go, if, he, if he's breaking you, it's only to make you. That's what he's doing. He's wanting to make you stronger. He's wanting to prove you out. The second thing that we see that perseverance brings about is he says is proven character there in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4a. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And again, that word develops or proven here. So again, when you think about it, the idea when you put, you know, like I said, metal through a fiery test, it comes out on the underside, what? It's tempered. So you think about that. When God is allowing you to go through a trial, it's not to break you. It's to make you. It's to temper you. It's to prove you. It's to demonstrate to you that your faith is authentic. Some people go, well, what if it's not authentic? And you go, well, you'd want to know that now, right? You, Because you, there's time, right? What's the invitation of Scripture? If you're not in Christ today, what should you do? If you didn't know Jesus today, what should you do? You should repent, right? 
You should repent and do what? Turn your heart to God. That, that would be God's desire. And be saved, the thief on the cross, right? How many people wrote off the thief on the cross? But he said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? Yeah, so we would repent. You want, you want the trial. You, we go, I, I don't want the trial. And you go, no, really you do. You do want the trial. When you really think about it, you go, because it's what's going to prove, is your faith authentic? It'll prove it to you. It'll prove it to the rest of the world. Is it, is it genuine? And if you fail the test, what happens? What does God do? How many have ever failed the test of God? What did God do? What did he do? He flunked you, right? No. What did he do? Yeah, you got to take the test again, right? And, and how do you feel when you pass the test? You know, yeah, you're, yeah, you, you, that's, yes. Yeah, to pass the test. And that's what God desires that we do. The third comes right out of that. Developed character brings about hope. See, so this is, this is what it's, why trials are so important. When you look at Daniel's life, you go, how did he have so much hope? And you go, because he had many trials that what? Not that he just went through, but that in every trial, just like Paul says himself in the New Testament, every trial that he went through was God faithful. Yeah. No matter what the world throws at you, guess what? God is faithful. That's the beauty of communion today. Jesus said it. It's what he keeps bringing us back to. What did he say? I am what? With you? How long? Till you let me down, right? No. What did he say? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And seeing people go, why is even the end of the age? And you go, because what happens at the end of the age? There's going to be a, the fight of all fights, the battle of all battles, right? And, you know, good against evil. E and, and evil looks like it's going to prevail. We look at the things today and we go, oh, look at evil's just winning. You go, no, it's not over yet. No, we might be losing a round here, but that's why we have hope. That's why we have the truth of God's word. The end of the age is, guess what? God is coming. He's going to avenge himself, you know, against his enemies. He's going to establish his throne and he will establish his kingdom, and he will cause all things to be made new at that point. And you go, that's the hope of the believer. So developed character brings about hope, Romans 5, 3, and 4 again. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So you think about how does strength of character bring about hope? You think about that. I mean, when your faith is, you know, it's been tried, you've been afflicted, and you've persevered, and it's proven to be genuine, authentic, you know that you're the real deal, and you know that you're not fake. I mean, what does that, what does that do? It gives you confidence, doesn't it? And you go, hey, I can do this. And it's not that you can do it. It's like Paul said, or excuse me, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. But Paul would write what? In Christ, what, he said, I can do all things, what? Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do every, it's not, oh, I can do anything. No, you can do what God has called you to do. That's the beauty. Whatever God has called you to do, he will empower you to do it. So if you're doing things and it's not working, you go, mm, that can sometimes be a sign that you might be, you know, it might be your will, it might not necessarily be God's will at that, that point, because God will supply all of your needs by his riches and glory to accomplish his will in your life. And so true faith is personal. 
you know, like I said, where false faith is corporate, right? I knew that. I was raised Catholic. I never said, you know, when somebody said, hey, where are you going when you die? And I go, I'm going to heaven. How do you know? Because I'm Catholic. No, I did. That's what I said. I go, I'm Catholic. Because it wasn't personal. I was relying on what? Corporate faith, right? That, that's what false faith does. No, you know when it's personal, right? This is the beauty of communion. You know, it's like singing this, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Yeah. And you go, so how do you know that you're going to heaven? People go, because Jesus died for me. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. My, 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 my. Personal, 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 right? It's intimate. Where, you know, when it's, it's not, when it's fake, it's like, well, you know, I've gone to church. I went to church. Church doesn't save you. Uh, you know, I gave. Giving doesn't save you. You know, those are things that saved people can do. But it's intimate. See, there's the beauty of it. It's personal. That's where your confidence comes in because it's not, you know, you talk to Jehovah Witness and you say, hey, do you know that if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven? And they'll, and they'll say what? I hope so. But their hope isn't with assurance. It's going, I hope I've knocked on enough doors. It's tragic. It's tragic because it's not personal. For the Mormon, it's the same thing. I hope I've done enough good things. And those are wonderful things that, you know, again, we're saved unto good works, but we're not saved by them. See, it's when you come to the place and you go, Jesus died for me. When I, I love that expression, you know, I didn't realize Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. So the fourth thing, end with this, the hope that's inspired, like I said, by proven character that won't disappoint us because God gives us this experience. And this is what we'll celebrate in communion here. Think about this. It, it's a hope that you and I have that's inspired as we walk with God and we experience in him in our lives. And we do that because of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. It's not something that we can have apart from him. We, I, we don't talk enough about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about church and, you know, and, and good works and all these things. And you go, but to go, do you have the spirit of God? Because Jesus said that. He goes, and I'll be with you always. You go, how is he with us always? You go, by his spirit that lives in us. He abides in us by the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans 5, 5 says. It says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know what God wants you to have today? Hope. How does God give you hope? God gives you himself. He gives you himself. That when you open your heart to him, and you receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And he's there to bring you comfort while you're in Babylon. You don't have to just survive, that you can thrive, that you can look around and you go, I know this isn't how the story ends. No matter what's going on in your life, that you hold on to the fact that God is sovereign, that God is true, and that what he has declared will come to pass. That's what directed Daniel's life. That's what he came to understand and know, the faithfulness of God again and again and again, because he was experiencing God in his personal life. It wasn't just he had information about God. It wasn't he just read things in the Bible, but he had an intimate knowledge of God, a working knowledge of God in his life because he spent time with him. He walked with him. He sought him. We, we understood that in prayer, right? Three times a day. And he says, and when he opened his window. See, you know, Daniel could have, you know, to maybe get around the system. He could have closed the window, right? And said, hey, the, you know, for the next 30 days, because the king might be listening, I'll just close 
you know, the window and I'll pray kind of in secret here. And he's like, no, I'm praying with the window open. Because why? Because I know God hears me and I know God will answer the prayers of my heart. Why? Because God is faithful. And so it's such a, a wonderful, wonderful, you know, you know, really a truth that, you know, again, we need to hold on to. And, and I love, you know, what Paul is, is kind of really, you know, hoping, you know, to really communicate with them and with us. And, and I love this, you know, this note that I have in my notes here, it says, but here he, Paul is saying, your hope is rooted in the genuineness of your proven faith, and it will not disappoint you. And you can know this because the Holy Spirit has come into your life and has begun to pour out the love of God experientially into your heart. And we talk about that, you know, that the love of God has been poured out into your heart. Do you remember how it was when you first got saved? I remember reading something not too many days after I got saved, and it said the guy talking about his own experience, he goes, man, I felt like, you know, when I gave my heart to the Lord, he goes, I felt like somebody poured warm, hot butter all over me. And I remember reading that, and it was like, you go, hmm, sounds kind of gross in one sense. I go, unless you really like butter. And I was thinking, but I knew what he meant. I knew, I knew that feeling of clean and just of being right with God because God made you right with him. There was nothing that I could do in and of myself to make my, myself right with God. It was simply surrendering to him. And man, the, the sense and, and the feeling was that knowledge of, like I said, experiencing God. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, before we were, we were saved, God proved his love by sending Christ to die for us. Now that we are his children, surely he will love us more. That, that sounds interesting. He says, it is the inner experience of this love through the Spirit that sustains us as we go through tribulations. Went on in this note, it says, and if you think God has forgotten you, then you have forgotten who God is. That's so true. So when we're in Babylon, what do we need to do? What did Pastor Chuck used to say all the time? Never trade what you, what? Do know for what you don't know. And so when you're going through Babylon and you're, you know, what's that expression? When you're going through hell, do what? Keep walking, right? Keep walking, keep pressing on, keep pressing forward here. And what will it ultimately do? And, and we'll cover this again and again and again. I want to leave you with this thought, you know, as we, uh, and I'll invite the worship team to come out and those that will receive, uh, pass out the elements of communion to go ahead and come forward. But one of the things, you know, that really impacted Daniel's life, and it's what's going to impact ours as we walk in truth and we keep our eyes focused on God when everything else seems to be going crazy all around us, right? Is that what Daniel understood and what gave him hope was his perspective. And that perspective is what we talk about in, in having a biblical worldview, right? Allowing the Bible to frame the way that you see the world around you. And I remember a pastor that I enjoy, I shared this with you long, long, long time ago. And so I'm pretty sure most of you have forgot this, but I want you to understand this thought of perspective this morning, because perspective does change everything. When you see God in control and you see God as supreme, then, then your perspective about the world will fall into place. When you don't see God as supreme and you don't see God in control and you don't see his word uh, as you know, the finality, then you're going to be, you know, pushed, you know, as, as scripture tells us, tossed to and fro by what? By every wind of doctrine here. And so the thing when I think about what gave Daniel hope today, it was perspective. One word, perspective. And so 
this was the, the, there was a young man in a church. He wrote this on perspective. And this is what he wrote. He said, God doesn't love me. You can't force me to believe God is good. This is the one truth in life. This world is a product of chance. How can I believe that God will use my life? I know with certainty that God has left me. Never again will I say that Christ is risen from the dead. I know now more than ever in my life that man can save himself. We must realize that it is ignorant to think that God answers prayers. Christians declare that without God, this world would fall into darkness. This world can and will meet my needs. It is a lie to say that. God has always been there for me. I now realize that no matter what I do, the truth is he doesn't love me. How can I presume that God is good? And he goes, you know, the pastor goes, when I read that, he's like, oh my gosh, I got to call this kid up. He goes, this kid is like messed up. And he goes, and that, so he's talking to the kid and he goes, no, pastor, it's perspective. He goes, you read it the way that you thought to read it. He goes, what I want you to do is go back and read it again, but read it backwards. He goes, what? And he goes, read it backwards. He goes, it's all perspective. He said, okay. And this is how it came out. Same, what I just read to you, but backwards. God is good. How can I presume that he doesn't love me? The truth is I now realize that no matter what I do, God has always been there for me. It is a lie to say that this world can and will meet my needs. Without God, this world would fall into darkness. Christians declare that God answers prayers. We must realize that it is ignorant to think that man can save himself. I know now more than ever in my life that Christ is risen from the dead, and never again will I say that God has left me. I know with certainty that God will use my life. How can I believe that? This world is a product of chance. This is the one truth in life. God is good. You can't force me to believe God doesn't love me. Perspective. How do you see God? My hope and my prayer, like Daniel, is you see God through his word. And when you see God through his word, then you begin to stand on his word. It's like Greg Laurie would say, you know, it's not how much of the Bible, you know, that you get into, but how much of the Bible gets into you. And that's where your safety, that's where your security, that's where your hope come from. And so that's the beauty of celebrating communion today is to know that, again, his hope is our hope today. Because it's not something that, like I said, we're sitting here going, oh man, I hope this will happen. It's that today as we receive communion, we have this reminder that what? He's preparing a place for us right now. Because of his blood that was shed on Calvary's cross, because of his body that was broken for us, we, we have proof. We have the cross as our proof. We have the resurrection as our proof that our sins are forgiven, that we are born again, that we're united with Jesus Christ, and that because of where he is, one day we'll be with him. And that's the hope that he said should carry you forward when, when you're not just surviving in Babylon, but when you're thriving, keeping your eyes fixed upon him. And so that's what we do this morning as you receive communion. So let me pray for you. Just enjoy this time, thanking the Lord, praising him for his goodness. Father, we thank you for the gift of communion. What a wonderful reminder, what a wonderful celebration it always is to know the truth of your word that, God, if we would repent of our sin and we would turn to you, that, God, you'd forgive us of our sin and you'd cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, God, you would send your spirit to be with us and to be in us, to comfort us, Lord, to engage us, to convict us and give us direction, Lord. 
so that we could navigate this life. And like Daniel, that we wouldn't just have to survive, Lord, an evil world, but Lord, we can thrive in the midst of it. We don't have to get all upset and all the things that are going on in the world today, because Lord, we too have read the rest of the story. We know that you're coming back again. And Lord, may that bring your church, your bride, comfort this day. We love you. We thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for proving it when you died upon the cross and three days later, rise it again so that we have proof that our sins are forgiven, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Have your way today, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.